And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the 1991 classic Thelma and Louise. In this movie, they go on a road trip. So let's take a road trip of our own and see if the first time viewing of this movie is any good. And again, welcome to another episode of Mets at the Movies, the movie, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. Now, again, we're going to be talking about the 1991 classic Thelma and Louise, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. Now, I've never seen this movie before. I just heard things about it. I always wanted to see it. I never, I've never seen it t- till till now. Uh, but as I said, I always heard really good things about it, and I always wanted to check it out, but I just never had the chance. So finally, the other night, I decided, you know what? I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to treat myself, and I'm going to watch this movie. And I have to say, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I enjoyed it more than I th- than I thought I would, because a lot of movies now, when I watch them and they get hyped up, I don't tend to enjoy them as much, but this movie I really, really enjoyed, and it's a simple story. The movie stars, as I said, Gina Davis as Thelma, and she's a housewife uh, who is married to, I believe it was a district car dealership manager who really doesn't treat her with any respect. He treats her like trash, treats her like garbage. He's the man of the house. It feels very old school relationship where she stays home takes care of the house makes the food and does whatever he says and he's the one who goes out and makes them the money and we also have louise uh, who is played by susan sarandon who is uh, a tough no-nonsense waitress who is dating a musician and just kind of looking for an adventure and the two friends decide that this weekend they're going to go on a trip. They're going to get out of town. They're going to leave their husband and, and boyfriend. They're going to leave their jobs. And they're just going to go on a vacation. They're going to go fishing. They're going to go up in the mountains. They're actually going to go to the um, cabin of um, Louise's boss, uh, who is getting rid of it. So he's giving people a chance to do it. So they decide, you know what? We're going to take this weekend. We're going to go fishing. We're going to go out and we're going to have some fun. And it's just going to be a girl's, girl's weekend. So the two set off on this on on this trip, and within the first five minutes, you get a sense of who they really are, or who they are as the characters at this point. But one of the things I loved about this film is as the movie went, they grew, and by the end, their characters feel very different from what they went through, and that's one of the things I loved about this film. But we're getting a little ahead of ahead of ourselves. So the first night that they're traveling, they decide you know what, let's stop off and get a drink. You know, they're already going to be showing up really late to the cabin, so what's stopping off at one drink? And they end up showing up at this uh, cowboy bar. And this is like the most hillbilly or the most cowboy bar you've ever seen or you've never seen but you've only seen it in movies to the point where there's a live band. Um, at one point, they're all doing a, a hoedown. There's loud music. There's big buckles, big shoes, and um, big attitudes as well. So the two of them show up, 
order a drink, and uh, a guy guy comes by, introduces himself, you know, plays the smooth, you know, I'm a cowboy, but I'm big and tough, and here I am. Um, and, he, and he decides to start dancing with Thelma, while Louise goes and dances with another guy. Um, but when the song is over, Louise just kind of goes back to her table, gets a drink, freshen up, and decide, you know what, one dance, and then we're going to go. But unfortunately, Thelma has had way too much to drink, and this guy is all over her. So finally, she starts to get sick and realizes, you know what, I can't be here. Um, I need to get out. So they go out and get some fresh air. And that's when this other guy starts to press upon her. Starts very slowly, as every movie and most guys probably do. Starts very slowly, be very nice. You know, I just want to kiss you. I just want to do this. Da, 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 da. When she starts to refuse, he gets a little more pushy. When she starts to refuse a little bit more, he starts to get a little more physical and pushy. When she's she's at the point where she's like, no, I don't want this. It finally gets to the point where he's like, well, you know what? We're going to have this. And he starts getting it her into a rape position. And it's a really tough scene because the movie up, up to this so far has been... Um, pretty lighthearted at times yeah a little rough because of the, the the marriage but they were able to get out they're here to have fun you're on this adventure on a road trip with them having fun and then it ends up going to this scene and it's dark it's a very dark um scene and it pushes these two women um because because of what's happening and because of how dark it is it pushes the these women to places that they've never been before but they had to go here they had to go go here because because this, this guy was was being a complete monster, and he tries to to rape Thelma. But luckily enough, just before he's able to do anything, Louise shows up with Thel Thelma's gun, who who um, decided to bring the gun with her, even though she's never shot or never used it before. She just decides what the heck to to bring it. Um, and it's funny because there's a there's a theory called uh, Chekhov's gun which I've learned um, and I look at it a lot in movies now where if there's something in the movie that is specifically referenced or shown or seen is made to look at something specific it's going to be brought up at some point in the film um, and there was a scene with a gun it was a very quick, quick scene you would have missed it but because the scene was about the gun you knew that it was going to come back later on uh, and that story trope is called, uh, I believe it's called Chekhov's Gun. Um, and again, once you learn, learn that, you'll look at movies very differently. So what ends up happening is she now holds up the gun. Uh, so Louise comes in, holds up, holds the gun up, tells this guy, you know, stop it or I'm going to blow blow your head off. And finally he does, he gets back, and it, and it looks like the... Um, situation is about to diffuse but as they walk away and this is a key point to the film as they're walking away he says one other thing another comment and louise Tur turns around and basically shoots him and kills him and it's a very specific point of how to do this um because the fact that they were walking away and turning around turns it from self-defense to i don't know the rules but I, I don't know if it's second-degree murder or manslaughter or if they're the same thing. But it turns it from self-defense, which they could have been, you know, acquitted of and they, and, and, and they could have been okay, to murder. And it changes the whole 
dynamic of the film. You know, they can't go to the cops now because they did this on pur- purpose. And it's very ironic because they they start having scenes about, um, you know, why don't we go, go to the cops? They'll understand. They'll get it. They'll know. And they have discussions about, well, who's going to believe us? You know, nobody was there. Two women. Who's going to believe us? So it's very reminiscent. You know, it, this was made in 91, but it still speaks volumes of what's going on today in the film industry and what goes on um, a lot. It's like, who's going to, you know, they can't come out and say say anything because who's going to be- believe them? And that's very true. I mean, you're talking about 1991 where none of this, of what's ha- happening now in our culture is happening. But in 1991, you couldn't, you know, they couldn't come out and say these things. And, and it's not like, like big actresses couldn't come out or regular women couldn't come out. It's every female couldn't come, couldn't come out and really say anything. They had to hide. And that's the whole purpose of this film. The whole purpose of this film is because they have to hide about what happened. It gets worse and worse and worse and they don't understand. So that very quick scene changes the film from a, from a smaller, uh, you know, cop drama to this chase road trip movie because of this one scene. It's, it's a very good scene, well, extremely well acted. Uh, Gina Davis pulls out all the stops in this, and just the hatred you see in Susan Sarandon's eyes and her voice is incredible. Um, the scene is so powerful. It's one of the most powerful scenes. It's probably... It's one of the most powerful scenes in the, in the film. It's not not the most memorable, but it's one of the most powerful. It's easy. It's so good. And it sets up the entire film. Um, now, scared and confused, they decide that the two of them have to get out right away. They have to leave, and they start driving, and they get to the nearest place, and they're, st- and they're confused. They don't know what they're going to do. They get to a coffee shop um, to kind of sit down and figure out, okay, what are we going to do? And then at this point, it cuts to back to the bar, and we're introduced to Agent Hal, who's played by Harvey Keitel. And he's the police officer who is in charge of the investigation. And again, in this really quick scene, he's interviewing he's interviewing the, um, the waitress. And the waitress is basically saying, you know, these two girls couldn't have done this. There's no way they couldn't, they could have done this. Um, they're just not those type type of people. And again, another point added on, on, onto the film where it's showing that, you know, there are people in this world that may not seem one way, but if they're pushed enough, they'll break and something is going to happen to them and they're going to change and they're going to react. You know, you can't always picture what's uh you can't always see what's on the the inside from the from the book cover and that's a and that's something that goes throughout this entire entire film but you kind of get a sense of harvey keitel's character you know it you get you get get the sense that he legitimately wants to find these two two girls um and see kind of what's going on and at no point do you feel like he wants to find them because he wants to put them in jail and he wants to lock them up he comes across like he legitimately wants to fi- figure out what ha- happened and he wants to get a hold of these girls and you get that again in this quick quick scene it's very well it's very well written and the characters are very well fleshed out and portrayed and you learn them very quickly which allows the rest of the film to grow as the film itself and really enjoy what's happening next. You're not bogged down by who the characters are at the start of the film for such a long time and it allows them more time to grow. It's really well done. Now, 
the next day, they end, they arrive at a mo- motel uh, with a few dollars, and they decide, you know what, we we have an idea of what ha- of what of what has to be done. So while Thelma is getting changed and showered and, and everything, Louise ends up calling her boyfriend, who is Jimmy, who's a musician played by Michael Michael Madsen. And again, I like going back to some of these '80s and and '90s films and seeing some of these actors who were at their peak when you put them in anything and they were huge. And Michael Madsen was one of those people who really hasn't had a lot to do in a while. But back then, he was one of the kings of Hollywood. Like you would put him in a film, and you're guaranteed a great perform a great performance. So we end up seeing that. He that Thelma calls Jimmy and asks for basically their life savings, $6,100. And at this point, we're not really sure why she wants that. We can imagine that, you know, she's trying to run, run away, but we don't know exactly where. So Jimmy says, okay, you know what? I'll send it to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Here's where you want to go. You'll pick up the money. And this is where the road trip movie starts. So for a while, so for a good while of the film, the movie is them traveling along the way trying to get to Oklahoma City from where they initially were. I can't remember exactly where they were, but it was a few days a few days away. Um, and they were probably somewhere around... They were in Arizona, I believe, at one point. I think they went from Arizona to... No, they were going west for a while. I can't remember exactly where, but I know for a while they were in um, Arizona. So the movie has them traveling to Oklahoma City, stopping off at different places, me meeting new people. And one person that they met is a gentleman by the name of JD, played by Brad Pitt, one of his earlier roles. He was, I think in the credits, he was like sixth or seventh billing. Like there were names ahead of him that I don't remember, but they had him after them because this was one of his early roles. He wasn't a big name at this point. And, and when they meet him, he's this, you know, nice cowboy, young, fresh, cute looking guy um, who's very polite, basically the complete opposite of the guy they met at the cowboy bar. And because, because of this, Thelma kind of takes a little bit of a shining to him. She thinks he's cute. He's really nice. You know, she begs Louise, please, let's help him out. Louise says, you know what? It's not a good idea. And they drive off and they start heading down. And then at one point they end up coming back and uh or they end up meeting up with jd again and they decide fine you know what hop in the car let's go so he joins he joins the uh he joins the road and at one point they have a scene where they're going a little fast and some cops are coming down the road and jd says you may want to slow down there's cops and she veers off the road and that's when jd kind of gets a sense okay something's going on with these two girls he doesn't know exactly what it is, but he knows that something is going on. So they finally get to Oklahoma City, and they go to the place where they're going to pick up the money, and it's a motel as well. Uh, and uh, surprise, surprise, their money isn't there with the cashier, per, with the person behind the counter, but it's actually with Jimmy, who's sitting in the room on the couch. He decided, I'm not going to send the money. I'm going to fly over, hand you the money, and he's going to figure out what's going on because... Louise just won't tell him what she's doing. She keeps saying, I can't tell you, but you'll know why and you'll find out why. And he's not having that. He's He decides to, you know what, I'm going to fly down and I'm going to figure out what's going on with Louise. And at this point, um, 
they end up getting room and staying the night. And we get two very different scenes. Uh, there's one room where we have Louise and Jimmy, and they're kind of going through. And again, this is a great scene as well. It's a very well acted, very well written, very emotional scene where Jimmy and Louise kind of dissect their relationship and determine, is this the relationship we want? Is this the relationship that uh, we both see ourselves going forward? What are we doing here? They start to have those internal talks with each other. And it's a scene that you know they're not actually dating or married, but because it's so well done and so well acted and so well paced, you get a sense that they care about each other, but they understand they have to let each other go. And in true Michael Madsen form, he has to have one scene where he gets angry and throws a table. I think it's part of his, I think it's in his contract that in one scene he has to get violently angry and then come down very fast. I think, I think that's what he has to do. But, be, but even though that, that, that scene happens where he throws a, a table, he doesn't throw a table, he knocks over a table you never get get the sense that Louise is scared or that he means to harm um, Louis, or that Jimmy means to harm Louise. You still don't get that. You just think that he's got a bit of an anger problem and he t- t- takes it out on the tables, but you never believe that he would take it out on, on her. And she's not scared. Um, she wants to leave because she basically says, you know, you know and if you're going to be like this, I'm going to leave. He apologizes. Uh, and... What I like about this and what I love about this as well is in a lot of other films, you have one person get into an argument, fight, throw something and apologize and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And then they slow down, they have a talk and then they just rage up again. And you're like, that doesn't even mean anything. Why does this person uh, enjoy spending time, time with them? Clearly they're a liar. You know, why are you doing this? But with Jimmy, he does have that one breakout, and then the rest of him going is him actually slowing down, calming, and speaking like a human to Louise, expressing his emotions, saying how much he loves her, letting her say how much he loves him. He even asks her to marry him, and she goes, why are you doing this now? But he stays human the rest of the time. So you, because of that, you actually believe that Jimmy's a really nice guy, that this outburst was just a single outburst. And it's really good because in a movie that's, that is um, so powerful towards women and writes w- women in very unique and strong ways, I'm, I'm so happy to see that it also a- is able to write male care characters in a very unique way that doesn't get to see often as i said this is a very well written script and very well acted for everybody around so well that that's happening with jimmy and louise over on the other side you have jd uh who shows up after we all thought he left and he was done and he left and he shows up in uh first thelma's room and they start you know and he comes in they start talking they start we find out that he was a robber at one point gives tips you know how to do it and everything and again it's a great scene uh and then they get a little more liking to each other and then they finally you know what what we know is eventually going to happen ends up happening and they finally have sex now it jumps to the next morning and again, Jimmy and Louise are having a great scene in a coffee shop in the diner where they end up saying goodbye. They have a weird kiss. The kiss in that in this diner, I don't know. 
it's a weird kiss. I didn't feel like the passion or anything. It's almost like Susan Sarandon was like, they weren't even kissing. They were just like putting their faces up against each other. And at one point, Susan Sarandon tried to like pull back, but my Michael Madsen's hand was like behind her head and just kept her there. It was a very long kiss and a very, it was a weird kiss. I don't think the kiss felt. I don't think the kiss fit. Again, it was a very awkward and weird kiss. But again, you still understand their emotion. They accept their goodbyes and they leave. And then when Jimmy leaves, this is when Thelma comes in and she is just giddy and over the moon and smiling and everything. And that's when she comes out to Louise and says, you know, she had sex. And knowing that she's only been with her her husband, her since they were in high school, her husband, Daryl, who is played by Christopher McDonald, who, if you see his face, you'll know him in a bunch of other things, in a ton of things. But I know him mainly as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. But he's been in a ton of movies before. He's he's a he's one of those characters who is like Stephen Tobolowsky, who's also in this movie as a detective. Who is you don't remember you don't remember. They don't have a lot of memorable roles, but they have a lot of roles that that, that you know them in. So she's giddy. She's super happy. She's like, you know, I finally understand, you know, why people love it. It's so good. It's great and all this stuff. And then Louise realizes, wait a minute, you were taking care of the money. Where was it? And Thelma goes, well, it's in my room on the nightstand. And they run to the room and we find out that JD has stolen their $6,100. He stole their money and they're back to being broke. They have nothing left. So finally, as they're dry, driving along, they get, they get gas. Finally, you know, Gina, you know, Thelma decides, you know what, Louise killed a man for me i'm gonna do something for them and the tip she learned from jd she goes and she robs uh, the convenience store gets all the money and they drive off and essentially the rest of the film becomes them on a road trip uh, having misadventures deciding you know what this is who we are now this is what we're doing and this is where you start to see the growth in louise played by gina davis where you start to see her more confident um more aggressive, more, I'm going to take what I want. She's not going to be put down by people. So at this point, she's already a very different character from what she was before because all of these, these interactions, all these interactions that, that happen have changed her, have created a new her, have opened her up. And you can see the progression of her care, care character. And what ends up happening is she becomes more of the wild one where Louise becomes the more timid one so they almost switch play places but they both accept who they are and who they're meant to be and they're finally happy even though they're running from from the law um they've done some bad things they're happy with who they are they finally feel free they finally feel um open and as i said the rest of the film is essentially turns into into a road trip movie with them heading to arizona um, because they're going to go into may mexico through arizona because they want to avoid Texas. And the reason why they want to avoid Texas is because Louise doesn't want to go back to Texas. We don't know why, but we know something happened in Texas. Now, periodically, it jumps back to the police officers. They're doing their investigation. They end up matching the car. They find out that um, it was these two people who ended up, who were there, there, there at the scene. They have the right people. And in a lot of scenes, 
we have phone call that is between Hal, a- Agent Hal and Louise. And he basically starts, he says things like, you know what? I understand something might have happened. Come on in. Let me help you. Please let me help you. Don't keep keep going. It's only going to get worse. And again, another mo- movie where... Uh, you don't feel like the male care character is so aggressive. You believe that Agent Hal wants to help these girls. You really like. You believe that he wants to help them, whereas Louise and Thelma understand that there's no going back. You know, we can't believe you. You know, you may say this, but everybody else is going to say something different. So we can't go back. At one point during their road trip, they end up getting pulled over by a state state police officer just before he calls the license plate in, which both of them know that if he does, they're going to get caught. Um, uh, Thelma pulls a gun on the cop, holds him up, takes his belt for extra ammo, locks him in the trunk, throws away the key, and drives away. So she's a total badass at this point. And also periodically during their road trip, they came across this uh, truck, this uh, truck and this truck driver who was just saying some awful, horrendous things to them. Um, Like just awful sexual things that you're like, why would anybody say this? If this is a real person, it's ridiculous. Why would they say this? And this person comes up like multiple times. It reminds me of the scene of the blonde from um, National Lampoon's Vacation, where she just kept popping up periodically. Uh, you never fully knew what was go, 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 going on, but you saw her periodically through, throughout the film. And then finally, they came up and they de- they came up to him and they decided, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna finally get some revenge on this guy. So they convince him to pull over. He's thinking he's about to have a threesome. He comes over and they start, you know, going after him. You know, who are you to talk like that? How dare you? How would, you know, what would you say that, would you say that to your mother? Would you say that to your daughter? How would people say that if you had a wife or a sister or a daughter? How would you feel if people said that? And they basically tear into him. And then once he realizes what's going on, he just starts swearing back at them and saying, you know, screw you. Who are you? I'm going to do what I want. You can go, go, go to hell. And finally, they get so mad that they, that they just, they shoot his truck, and it's it, it looks like it's a ga- gasoline truck, and you get probably where a lot of the budget went into this film, a massive explosion, like a really big explosion. He's freaking out. They start circling him, all happy, all you know, hooting and hollering, and then they drive off. And this leads pretty much into the scene where now the police know where they are, where they're going, who they are, and it ends up turning into a police chase for a short period of time. And this is when it gets to to, to the point where, um, you know, again, Hal, you know, there's a ton of police presence. Hal comes in and says, what are you doing? Somebody's going to shoot, shoot, shoot these women, get these people back, put down, down, down their guns. They're, 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 they're just two women. Again, reinforces that this character is actually a legit good guy who wants to help. And that's when we get the famous scene where they decide, you know what, they don't want to get caught. They they don't want to get caught. They don't want to go to jail. They figure, you know what, if they end now, things will be great. And you get that famous scene where 
they're driving along their picture of them that that they took the first day they left flies out of the car lands on the ground they drive off a cliff and it fades to white as they're in the air and that's how it ends and that's an incredibly famous scene it's a very powerful scene as well because it tells that these two women you know what they're going to go out on their terms they're going to go out the way they want to they're not going to let anybody else tell them what to do they're going to go out on their terms and they're going to end and it's a great scene I, you've probably seen this you've probably seen other things um, talk about the scene and recreate the scene more than you've actually seen the scene itself so it's a great it's a great scene overall this is a really good movie i really enjoyed it um fun fact is that the i I believe there was an alternate ending where it you actually saw the car crash and they decided not to do that because one there's no point in showing that because when they fly off the the cliff you know they're dead you already know they're they're dead you don't need you don't need to see the car crash that's just a weird ending ending but to end with them in the air it just again it continues the trend of these these two two women are breaking free of chains they're breaking free of their relationships they're breaking free of society they're breaking free of what everybody wants them to be they're breaking free of what um of what people are saying to them they're breaking free of all this stuff and when they're in the air flying there's nothing freer than that they're in the air. There's nothing holding. There's nothing above them. There's nothing below them. There's nothing around them. There's nobody there telling them what to do. All you can think about is whatever you want, because you know you're going to die. It's the ultimate freedom as they're flying in the air. It's the ultimate way to end. And that's why I like this ending more than the director's cut. Now, as I said, I really like this movie. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I was actually thinking about doing a different film, and then I thought, you know what? I really like this film. Why don't I talk about Thelma and Louise? I think it's a well-done done movie, and I think it deserves to be to- talked about more. And I'm really glad I saw it. I bought it uh, I bought it cheap when HMV was going out of business, and they and they were selling off uh, so, so, some of their Blu-rays cheap, and I saw it, and I thought, you know what? I heard it's good. I've always wanted to see it. Let's pick it up. And when it first came came out, it was a massive success with critics. 83% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, 88 on on Metacritic. The critics loved it. But it did get a lot of backlash because a lot of people felt like this was uh, a movie about women attacking men and basically insulting men and saying it was it was it was watching the film and reading the criticism about it i don't see this at all i see this as two women who i see that this is a powerful movie it's a powerful movie for for females honestly if you were to take this movie and if you were to think about all the other road trip movies that had that had to deal deal with cops it's almost like that this movie is so good at being a great movie and not forcing anything on you that you could swap these characters with male characters and it would feel like a very similar movie and that is what i think is great when it comes to um quality when you have a movie that both that that can speak both to men and women on the same level that if you were to put females 
in this role, it's it's empower it, it's empowering for them. If you put males in this role, it's powerful for males. That it doesn't force itself to say, well, because we have female leads, we need to make this very female centric. No, it's these specific characters are strong characters. Doesn't matter who they are, where they are or what they're going through in life, they're strong characters who become stronger and end up becoming freer than they've ever felt at the end. And I think that's how you write movies. And that's how you make great movies for everybody to enjoy. Just write a good script. And then whether it's female leads or male leads, just write a good script, put in the right actors, the right characters, or make the right characters, and let it build and let it flow. And I think this is a m- movie that even men can look at this and say, you know what, those were those were awesome women. You know what, I look up to those women, those, those are great. And you know, men can take away and, 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 and say, you know what, I'm gonna treat my, you know, I'm gonna help build up my daughters, my wife, and I'm gonna help them become powerful like this too. And then women can see this and say, you know what, yes, Women can be free. We can break, you know, they can break away the chains. They can be their own person. They can be free. If they want to go on vacations with oh, at their husbands or boyfriends, go ahead. It's okay. If you want to have girls' night, go ahead. Have have fun. We're, we're all living in this world. And most of the time, we all have the same experiences and the same tra- 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 tragedies. So why are we separating ourselves so much? And I think this is a great film. Now, critics really liked it. I really liked it. But fans at the time weren't so much sold on it. It had a budget of uh, $16.5 million, and it only made about $45.5 million. So it didn't do very well at the box office. But because it didn't do well at the box office, do you know what that meant? It had a lot of Oscar nominations, six Oscar nominations in total. It had an Oscar nomination for Best Director, um, I think it was Cinematographer, uh, the two lead actresses, uh, so both Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis received um, Best Lead Actress no- nominees, but it only won one. And it won for best screenplay uh, for Callie Callie Corey. Um, you may not know a lot of her. I I didn't actually know a lot of her, but I just realized that uh, I've watched her. So she's the showrunner. I think showrunner and writer for the television show Nashville, which I'm a big fan of, and I watch every week. So I was like, hey, you know, that's kind 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 of cool. I didn't realize this con- connection. Now, if you're wondering. Um, when this, you know, this had this was part of the 1992 Oscars. So obviously, it came out in 1991. Um, a movie that I think was this good that if it came out, uh, you know, any other years, it would have done really well. But when you start going through the movies that were nominated for Oscars, 1991, damn, that was a good year for movies. Silence of the Lambs ended up winning Best Picture. But some other movies that came out that year were JFK, Disney's Beauty and the Beast, Cape Fear, Bugsy, Hook, Prince of Tides, Fisher King, Terminator 2, 
Boys in the Hood, Star Trek VI, and Backdraft. And that were some of the movies that came out. Another one is is the Adams Family movie, which I'm a huge fan of. Like going through through this list, I don't know. Like I think it was the summer. I think there was like one month in 1980. It was either 84 or 86. It was the year that ET came. I think it was the year that ET came out. There was like a month where it has like five of the greatest sci-fi movies of all of all of all time. That's one of the best years I think for movies. But 1991. Wow, that was an incredible year. There was like I understand why um, this couldn't get a lot of wins. Now, again, some of the reasons why I love this film is because I think it's a great story. I think it's really well written. I think the characters are amazing. I think it 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 breaks normality for the characters, and the music and the cinematography are excellent as well. I think this is like this was Ridley Scott at his prime. I think he was still. He was, it was after, you know, he was long gone. He was long done from movies like Alien um, and Blade Runner. So those have art, those had already happened a long time, time ago. This was when he was starting to get more of it in his down period, more like lower, um, lower budget films, more kind of like independent films. And he was still doing great. Like Ridley Scott did an excellent job directing this. So if you get the chance, I highly recommend you go out and you see and you find Thelma and Louise. It is a great movie. I absolutely loved it. And it is definitely a must-see. So I want to thank everybody for, again, tuning in this week. Uh, you can always follow me at Mets at the Movies. I don't tweet a lot, but if I start to get more subscribers, I'll start to tweet tweet more often. Uh, if you if there's a movie that you want me to talk about, you can always suggest uh, there again at it's at Mets at the, the movies. Um, and then I'll try and get another episode out uh, very, very soon. And uh, yeah, so that is again, the 1991 movie Thelma and Louise. And I will see you at the next screening. <laughs>